Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We come to the end of our summer sermon series and to the end of the book of Acts. However, the story doesn't end, and this is very purposeful, because the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't end, and that is truly what the book of Acts is about. You're listening to A Book Without an Ending by Rev. Peter Yonker. As we come to the end of our summer sermon series on the book of Acts, we fittingly come to the end of the book of Acts. My last sermon will be on Acts chapter 28. I will read, I think I'll start at verse 16 and go all the way through 31. And that is found on page 1742 in your pew Bibles. Again, starting at verse 16. Paul has finally arrived in Rome, and as you remember, he's in, he's in Roman custody uh, because he's been accused of inciting a riot in Jerusalem, and he appealed to Caesar, and Rome will be the place of his trial, where a verdict will be rendered on this charge. Luke says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of the ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But the Jews objected, so as I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk to you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound by this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who've come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know the people everywhere are are talking against this sect. So they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be hearing but never understanding, you'll be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears understand with their hearts, and turn, and then I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And now my text, these last two verses, will get most of the focus in my sermon. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. 
So I don't know if you agree with me. I, I suspect that you do. But I've always thought, and maybe you think so too, hearing it, that the book of Acts has rather an abrupt ending, right? It ends all of a sudden. It ends and you feel like something is not resolved. And we human beings, we don't like that. We like stories that resolve. We like songs that resolve in a major chord. We like stories that resolve where all the pieces are brought together and it's happily ever after. And there's something in Acts that just doesn't quite feel like it's resolved. And if you feel that way, um, you stand in good stead because many commentators have said exactly the same thing. John Chrysostom, was a great preacher of the 5th century, said this, The author Luke brings his narrative to a point and then leaves the hearer thirsty for more. What is this more that we're thirsty for? I was thinking about this this week. Why is it that we feel like something's unresolved? What do we feel like needs to be said? And I think that has everything to do with Paul. We want to know what happens to Paul. We've become rather attached to this figure, right? We've been hearing about Paul in this book since chapter 13. And we've been following him on these journeys. We've seen him go through troubles. We've seen him do miracles. We've seen him go through all these things. And we're sort of engaged in his story. And then starting in chapter 1, there's this whole legal side of the story, right? Paul is arrested in Jerusalem and charged with inciting a riot, which is a capital crime. He could face death for that. He appeals to Caesar, and since chapter 21, he's been on his way to Rome to face trial, where he's going to face Caesar. And there's all kinds of things, right? He's before Agrippa and before Festus, and he has a shipwreck. And this has been very dramatic leading up to this trial. And then we finally get to Rome. We finally get to the place where we're going to hear what happens to Paul. The trial's about to start, and Luke ends his book. This is more or less exactly like watching a, a mystery movie, uh, getting really engaged in the plot, seeing all the clues come together, having a, a, a theory about who did it, and then right when you're about to find out, the credits start to roll. Luke, come on! Guilty or not guilty? What happens to Paul? We want to know. Actually, Nobody knows exactly what happens to Paul after this. The sources aren't nearly as good, and there's a lot of debate. There are a few things that people agree on. For example, people agree that Paul was almost certainly martyred in Rome in about 65 AD. And so for Paul, that, because he was a Roman citizen, that would have meant that he was beheaded, okay? Not crucified, beheaded, which is bad enough. We also know and scholars agree, that Paul comes to Rome at 60 AD, okay? So from 60 to 65 AD, those are the times where we don't know very much, just those five years. And we kind of know the first two of those years because Luke says he stayed in Rome for two years under house arrest. So he had a Roman soldier who went with him everywhere. He probably had a light chain that would go from him to this Roman soldier. But he was sitting in a rented house, could have people over for dinner, and he could preach the gospel for those two years. Scholars are also agreed that probably after those two years, he went free. And that means he either won his case and was declared not guilty, or, and this is very possible, the charges were dropped. The Jews realized they were going to lose, and they just dropped the charges. 
So most agree that after two years, he was set free. And then people, then, then it's sort of a mystery and there's debate. Some people say, maybe you've heard this, that he went to Spain. He told us in Romans 15, Paul says that he wants to go to Spain to spread the gospel there. And, and so we know he wanted to go. And we also know that Clement of Rome, who was in the second century, and one of the earliest bishops wrote that Paul brought the gospel to the uttermost limits of the West. Well, in those days, that would have been Spain. So a lot of people think he went to Spain. But others disagree and say, no, no, he probably just stayed around Rome or he went back to the churches in the East. No one's really sure. But at some point, he clearly came back to Rome. And then after the great fire of Rome, which you remember, Nero blamed on the Christians, persecution erupts in Rome, Paul is arrested, and this time it is much more serious. Read 2 Timothy. That's a letter he wrote during the second imprisonment. He's not under house arrest this time. This time he is in a dungeon. He is in a cell. And if you read 2 Timothy, it's very clear that Paul does not think this is going to end well. He, th he thinks he's not going to make it. And he's right. That's the point after which he is beheaded. So that's the story of what happened to Paul as far as we know it. But for some reason, um, Luke doesn't tell it. Even though he certainly knew the ending and Luke, uh, the, the, gospel, the, the book of Acts was written after 65. Scholars agree, almost all of them, that Acts was written when Luke knew perfectly well what happened to Paul and yet he chooses not to share that part of the story. And it's not because there was a martyrdom. It's not because it ends badly for Paul because Luke has shown he's not afraid to tell about martyr stories, right? He talks about Stephen. He talks about James being killed. So he's not afraid of telling about martyrdoms. So why doesn't he tell us what happens to Paul? Really important question. Here is what I think the answer is. Luke does not tell us what happens to Paul because this story is not about Paul. We human beings, as we enter into stories, identify with people and we want to make the story about the people. We love hero stories, right? Stories where people overcome their obstacles, defeat the bad guy, change the world, save the day, and live happily ever after. We've been telling those kinds of stories since we were able to tell stories. Why do we love hero stories? Because when we hear them, we think that human beings have the power to overcome their obstacles, and we think that maybe we could be a hero. That if we have the courage and the smarts and the strengths, we could overcome our obstacles and save the day and live happily ever after. Like that's in our power. We love those stories of human triumph because it makes us hope that we could triumph. But Luke refuses to tell how the story of Paul ends because he wants to say, it's not about Paul. Paul is not the hero of this story. James is not the hero of this story. Stephen is not the hero of this story. The hero of this story is our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. 
So in a way, at the very end of the book, we're back to where we were at the beginning. You remember like at the very first sermon I did in this series, and the very first page of that sermon, I argued with the title of this book. We've always called it the Acts of the Apostles. And we said, that's, that's not a really good name. This should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's not about people. People are not the hero of this book. The apostles do lots of things, but they are not the hero of this book. The Holy Spirit, the power of God, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that is the main teller of this story. If you're not sure of this interpretation, I invite you to read Philippians this week. Why Philippians? Well, Philippians is a really interesting book to read in conjunction with Acts 28 because we're almost sure that Paul wrote Philippians while he was under house arrest in Rome. So if you want to know Paul's frame of mind in those two years when he was in Rome, read Philippians and you'll see And what you'll see is someone who's full of joy, right? Philippians is like the most joyful letter that Paul wrote. Why is he so full of joy? Because coming to the end of his life, after all the stuff he's been through, after all his fightings and his fears, he's realized that he's completely in God's hands and that it's not his story, it's God's story. He says it on every page of Philippians. Chapter one, I don't know what's going to happen to me in this prison. I could live or I could die, but you know what? It doesn't matter because I know that Christ will be glorified. It's God's story. Chapter two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his purposes. His purposes. It's God's story. Chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, present your petitions to God, and the God of peace will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, your Lord. It's God's story. At one point in Philippians, Paul makes it so much about Jesus Christ and so much about God that he even says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. It's so not about me that my identity is completely subsumed in his. I am hidden with God in Christ. It's not our story. It's God's story. Now, when Paul realizes that, that doesn't make him passive. It doesn't mean he doesn't try to do things and accomplish things. It doesn't mean he doesn't need courage to live his life. And Philippians says that too, right? Philippians does say to us, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and press on towards glory. Philippians does call us to do things, but as Paul does these things, he does not do them as someone who thinks that he has to change the world and fix all the things. He does these things as the servant of the one who is changing the world and fixing all the things. Do you understand the difference between those two states of mind? Can you feel the difference between those two things? Because to feel those difference between those two things is to understand the gospel. Paul does not do his work as someone who thinks he needs to change the world and fix all the things. He does his work as the servant of, as a light for, in the joy of the one who is changing the world and fixing all the things. It's not him, it's Christ.
The ending of Acts is so important. It's teaching us who's in charge of these things. It's telling us that it's not us. And so as I've been working on this sermon this week, I've actually kind of come to like the ending of Acts. And in particular, I've fallen in love with the very last word in this book. What is the very last word in the book of Acts? Not in English, but in Greek. It's a little Greek word called akalutos. Akalutos. And it's translated as two English words, without hindrance. What a perfect word to end this book. Without hindrance. The idea that it's God's story and nothing will hinder, nothing will be able to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the subject of this whole book. Because through the whole book, one thing after another tries to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's things in the church, the fears of the disciples, the treachery of Ananias and Sapphira, the fighting between Paul and Barnabas. Most of the time it's things outside the church, the persecution of the Jews, persecution of the Romans, the riots, all the troubles. Will any of those things be able to hinder the gospel of Jesus? No, because akalutos, without hindrance, nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Five years after this book ends, Paul gets beheaded in Rome. A terrible tragedy, it must have shook the church. Will that be able to hinder the gospel? No. Because akalutos, nothing can hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. Throughout church history, persecutions arise. Thousands and thousands of people are killed for what they believe. Heresies arise. Church people do foolish things that are hypocritical and embarrassing. Will any of that be able to stop this story? No. Because akalutos, nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your life, there are things that fill you with anxiety. Things in your family that you worry about night and day. Doubts that plague your mind. Will any of those things be able to hinder God's purpose for you? No. Because akalutos, nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to finish this sermon series with a story. And I thought at first I would tell a really big story, you know, something about Christian people overcoming kings and empires. But I finally settled on a small story because most of us live small lives and that's the place where the gospel works for us. It's a story that I first heard about eight years ago. I was involved in a minister's group over at Calvin Seminary, and it was a whole bunch of ministers from a wide variety of backgrounds. And at the first day in our group together, we were asked to tell our stories. Um, how has God brought us here? How did we come to ministry, etc.? And one of the guys in the group, and I don't remember where he served the church, he wasn't Christian Reformed, his name was Shane. And he told a story, but it wasn't his story, it was the story of his wife, whose name I don't remember, so let's call her Jane. Jane should never have been alive. What I mean by that is uh, she was the product of a uh, high school romance, two young people coming together in a moment of passion, girl got pregnant, 
The two of them get together when they find out she's pregnant and they decide they were going to have an abortion. When the moment of truth comes, the mother could not bring herself to do it, and so she instead she leaves town and goes to International Falls, Minnesota to, to have the baby away from everything. International Falls, Minnesota, the very edge of the earth, if you're an American and if you're a Canadian, it's the gateway to the south. <laughs> so she goes off to International Falls, Minnesota, where no one will know her name until so she can have this baby. She has this baby. Jane is born. Jane is given up for adoption. And she grows up in a family, and like a lot of adopted kids, she struggles, right? She struggles with identity issues. Who am I? Why did my parents want me? Why did they almost want to abort me? Which apparently she knew. And these things uh, plague her, and she starts to act out. She gets into all kinds of trouble as a teenager. She is always a problem for her parents. Until she meets Shane. And Shane, too, had had his problems. Shane, too, had gone through lots of issues, but had found Jesus, and the Holy Spirit had changed him. And so Shane tells Jane about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit works in Jane, and she's changed. And they get married, and he decides, you know, I might like to go to seminary, and he becomes a minister, and they begin this new life together, which would have been a great enough story all by itself. But like in a lot of adopted kids, Jane decides she wants to find her parent, her mom. So she searches and finds her in California, and to her amazement, she finds that her birth mother had ended up marrying her birth father. It was impossible when she was born, but later became eminently possible and inevitable. And when the two of them got together, they became Christians, devout Christians. Together, their whole life, just about every day, they've been praying for this girl who was their daughter together, who they didn't know where she was. And specifically, they prayed that the Lord would send her a godly man, which he did. I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like that, and there are hundreds of stories like that, right here in this room, I think... This is God's story, and nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord God, we are your children. You are our Father. We come to this place full of joy at being your children, but also keenly aware of our limitations when it comes to fixing the troubles of life, Lord. The problems of this world and the problems of our own lives are far, far, far beyond us. So we thank you for the good news of this book and the good news of this story of Acts, which tells us that this is your story. Lord, help the good news of the gospel to fill us this week so that when we go out to the world, into the places where you call us to serve, where you may be people of joy instead of despair, uh, people of hope instead of fear. And, and Lord, people of faith instead of cynicism. Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.